0: Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk some hoops, talk some other stuff, too, as we always do uh, during these shows. This is the final one for 2020 as uh, this uh, crazy year reaches its end, thankfully, here in a few days. Along with Chris Dorch of Blue Ribbon, I'm Kevin Ingram, and uh, and, uh, as always, great to have you with us. And uh, Chris, great to see you, man.
1: Great to see you, sir. Hope you had a happy holiday, and I I know you you got sort of a, a present, and I I wanted to tell our listeners about it. I'm I'm proud of you and happy for you that you are now the radio play-by-play voice for the Vanderbilt Commodores.
0: I am. Uh, it, you know, there there's still decisions to be made by Vanderbilt as far as the the long-term you know situation there, but for uh, the remainder of this season and I hope beyond, uh, calling the basketball games, um, it, it's an honor to sit in that chair. It, it's very cool. Looking forward to the first conference game uh, Vanderbilt plays Florida on Wednesday night to open up SEC play. That, that'll that be super neat. But uh, done uh, five games so far. Everybody's been great. Uh, I love working with Tim Thompson, who I've known for a, a lot of years. Uh, Kirby is our engineer. Mike Holter is is our studio host. And um, I've known those guys forever, too. So it's it's worked out well. It's been a very smooth transition as far as that goes. Uh, Definitely keeping my friend Joe Fisher in mind, Uh, he and I have been friends for probably 20 years at least, and uh, I know he's going through some tough times right now and and had to step away, but uh, definitely hope I can uh, do a good job and and honor the uh, level of excellence that uh, he uh, put forth sitting there for so many years and calling those games, but it's really cool. Uh, it's such a strange year because there, there, you do these games, there aren't any fans in the stands, and then the, the games, uh, the, the conference games, the road games will have to do remotely. Just, uh, it's kind of what everybody's doing this year, but, uh, look forward to hopefully down the road, uh, being a, a different situation, but I, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, it's very cool. Uh, again to have that chance uh i had to step away from belmont in order to make it all work it just you just couldn't do both there's just too many conflicts and it wasn't really fair to anybody but uh, everybody at belmont was great too and they gave me a really nice send-off uh, after my last game a couple weeks ago but uh i, I did belmont games for 18 years uh, i did the last 16 years of the uh, rick bird era which were fantastic uh, i did the first year plus of casey alexander's tenure which was also great and i know uh, great things are ahead for that program but uh I tried to figure out one time how many Belmont games I'd called. It was somewhere over 530 uh over 17 plus years. And, you know, we've talked about been to over a hundred places to call games, but uh it's a new challenge now. Uh look forward to, to seeing what's ahead for Vanderbilt. Uh, it's been fun to learn a new team and meet some new people. And uh uh it's just, it's, again, it's just very neat and uh, a real honor to sit in that chair.
1: Well, oh, I don't doubt for a second that you'll do a great job. It, it was a great decision on Vanderbilt's part and, and it's not like you haven't called games in there before. You've, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for Belmont uh, and and for the SEC network. It, I've always thought that Van, uh, Vanderbilt's gym is great. Some people don't like it. I think it's the Fenway Park of college basketball. So you know your way around the joint pretty yep. well.
0: I do. I've I, I probably called I don't know seventy seventy five games in there. Uh, doing I, I'd done a radio game or two just filling in in years past, and then also um, I, I did. I've done mostly the games for the SEC network uh, with with Vanderbilt, uh, men's and women's games, done a whole bunch of both uh, over the last uh, six years. So, yeah, I, I do know my way around. It's a very challenging place to announce a game because you sit down below court level. I mean, you're kind of looking at everybody's sneakers as they go by. It's a neat old building. and certainly there's nothing there's nothing like that place uh, anywhere in college basketball. I have, in, in fact, uh, this next installment of my favorite venues. I'm writing about. It. I've been doing some interviews uh, with some Vanderbilt greats, so uh, looking forward to uh, to putting all that together. I've been working on it, but. Uh there's nothing like it. I've been fascinated with that place since I was a kid. I in fact, when I was a child and this is probably 40 years ago, I I built Memorial Gym's Court and and goals out of Legos. I was I was just thought that place was was so neat and so different than anywhere else you ever saw a game and uh yeah, it's uh, it's so it's son comes
1: about the Lego uh, He does. And, uh, <laughs> he has a Lego prodigy. Uh, one final thing on this. Um, I had Bob Kessling come uh, speak to my class at, at the University of Tennessee in Chattanooga, as you have, it's a sports writing class. And, and I introduced him by saying that once you ascend to be a play-by-play announcer for an SEC team, you become a legend. So uh, my friend, uh, you are now a legend,
0: sir. <laughs> legend may be a little strong in my case, but I appreciate it. Uh, I, I just want to, uh, just want to get in there and do a good job. Uh, there, there are absolutely a lot of legendary voices around the you SEC. And, and, and I, I thought about that a lot. I mean, you think about there are only four, there are only 14 people who announce uh, SEC basketball on the radio game in and game out. And it's, it's really special to be part of oh, that group.
1: I've been there forever. Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll, Mississippi State's guy work. He was into his uh, 80s. Yeah, days.
0: Jack Crystal was at Mississippi State for like 60 years.
1: <laughs> I interviewed Jack Crystal once, and he was telling me about the time when he was a young radio announcer. He interviewed Elvis.
0: Oh yeah. And
1: this was before Elvis was a big got got humongous, but uh, he had some funny stories to say about that. But but yeah, I think you're in you're in some tall. Co- Tall grass now, brother.
0: I'm proud. (laughs) Thank you, Chris. Thanks a lot. Uh, Yeah, SEC play does begin this week. Uh, Vanderbilt plays Florida on Wednesday night. We'll see Tennessee and Missouri. Uh, That will be the best test maybe to date for the Volunteers. Uh, Mississippi State at Georgia, Arkansas at Auburn. There's some Tuesday night games, too. Texas A&M plays at LSU, Ole Miss at Alabama. Uh, Kentucky and South Carolina got postponed. But uh, kind of looking forward to league play getting started. It, it seems like it's maybe a week earlier than it typically is, You know, just, just given the way the schedule's set up. But these conference games are where you really get the, the fun part of the college basketball season, if you ask me.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's weird. I, I think every coach in the country will tell you that, with a few exceptions, uh, oddly enough, the school where I teach Chattanooga is 11 and 0. And, uh, granted, some of those were against non D1s, but just to get 11 games in before your conference season, man, the, the luck involved there. Uh, and, and you know, I, I won't say it's all luck. They probably really protected their players and uh-huh. schedule wisely. But, but I think other than a few schools like that, I think Drake, Maybe it's 11 and 0 now too. But other than that, I'd say most schools had trouble, uh, getting games and either had to shut down themselves or, uh, played schools that, that shut down and thus they couldn't play their scheduled games. I read a story in the athletic, uh, today. It was an older story that I ran across where one to schedule one game, it took 33 phone calls. Wow. Uh, and, you know, it, it, and it happened to everybody, not just mid majors, upper majors. You know, Tennessee had to shut down, lost four huge games, including one against Gonzaga. So it's been crazy. And I think most every coach in the country will tell you that they don't feel as prepared for league play as they normally might.
0: Yeah, I think every coach would agree on that. I mean, uh, you know, I've been doing preparation uh, for Vandy in Florida, and I, you know, Florida's had a whole different set of circumstances. They they had several games canceled due to COVID, but then they also lost a big chunk of their non-conference season when they, you know, Keontae Johnson uh, collapsed at Florida State, in that just terrible uh, situation there in Tallahassee back on the 12th, and uh, they basically just said we're not going to play the rest of our, our non-conference schedule, which is understandable. They just got back to practice a couple days ago on the uh, 27th, I think it was and Sunday. He just
1: got- as an assistant coach. Yep, yeah, yeah, he's helping with
0: their uh, scouting report and so forth. Uh, Mike White was talking about that yesterday. He said, you know, he's he's been really valuable for us. And, you know, we like having that other voice. We just like having him around. He's such an important part of the program. But, you know, they've only played four games. Uh, they had played three. Uh, they went up to Connecticut and played a couple. And then they, they had played that, that game against Florida State. And, and that's been it for them. Um, I Saw on Sunday Vanderbilt played Alcorn State. Uh, gosh, they'd had about 10 games canceled. They'd only played three games. And, and you know, Vanderbilt's only played six. Uh, they had several canceled. They had like a 16-day gap between game one and game two. And uh, I was talking to Jerry Stackhouse about that. He said, yeah, we just got to do the best we can. We know we're, we're not as prepared as we want to be. We don't really have a whole lot of choice. You have to uh, have to go on and get ready to play. And, you know, I think every team has had some sort of challenge uh, at some point. And, and you know, there will be more. Uh, but you kind of do the best you can. I mean, there's there's no stopping now. You got to uh, be ready to play these uh, conference games, which everybody knows everybody a little bit better, and there there are all those uh, uh, elements of familiarity that go into those.
1: I look forward to it. I, there's some wrinkles I saw the other day where Jay Wright of Villanova has COVID mm-hmm. now. So, uh, so you know, I'm, I don't know how many coaches have gotten it, but uh, several that I know have dealt with it, and and uh, so you're right. It's there, there's things that that we're just going to have to deal with. it it tickles me uh, when I see somebody kind of complaining or criticizing the NCAA and uh, Seth Greenberg always rips right back at him. He's a loyal uh, defender of this game. And uh, even though it hasn't treated him the best (laughs) always, but but, uh, I I agree with him though. I, I mean, we should be glad we've got ball and no matter how, how much planning went into this by the NCAA or the respective schools, or athletic directors or conference commissioners or pre school presidents, there's going to be a monkey wrench thrown in it. And we're just going to have to roll with the punches and, uh, and, and get this season played. It's the most unusual. I hope that any of us will ever have to deal with.
0: Yeah. That no question about that. And, you know, they're making plans for how the tournament's going to look when we get to March. And, uh, you know, habit hall all more than likely in the Indianapolis area. They were talking about all the different venues that they could use up there. They have a, they have no shortage of buildings that they could use to get the job done. So, uh, just keep your fingers crossed. We can get a, you know, most or all of the conference games in and then, uh, get to some postseason. And, you know, in the meantime, maybe the, uh, the vaccine starts to be. Uh, more widespread as far as how it's being distributed and and more people are, are able to get it. And that helps too. So, uh, you, you hope as the calendar flips, it's, it's a little more hopeful situation for everybody, not just basketball, but, uh, uh us in general.
1: Absolutely. I, you know, I, I, I'm hopeful like you that, you know, we're going to get on top of this, uh, the vaccine will help and, and, uh, you know, I, I think that for the most part, I think the NCAA has done the best it can. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I read something Seth Davis wrote. College hoops was the only sport that didn't uh, finish its season, yeah. that didn't uh, have a champion. So, you know, if you're crafty enough and, and, and resourceful enough and patient enough uh, and committed enough, you, you can get this done despite all odds. So. I'm really looking forward to closing out the season and and seeing what happens in Indy because you're right, there's so many venues there, and including historic Hinkle, which yep. you know uh, you have written about and been to, and I think that'll be a great venue right there.
0: Yeah, that'll be cool to uh, to see NCA tournament play in that that building, which is a it's a neat one. It's a an old building that they've uh, done some nice renovations on went there a few years ago. As far as what's going on in the here and now, Chris, having watched a bunch of games been home a lot over these uh, last couple of weeks, especially, but Gonzaga is a clear number one team. They're unbeaten. They have four wins over ranked teams. They wiped out number 16, Virginia Saturday, 98, 75 in a game that in some ways didn't even seem like it was as close as the final score was. Uh, you had Timmy and, and Kispert combining for 61 points. Corey Kispert had nine of 13 from three and scored 32. Their offense is just really, really hard to stop. Isn't it?
1: It is. And what's funny, um, uh... Not only were they good, uh, they did lose Protrusive uh, in July, which people thought w- would be a hindrance. And we talked to our writer, Blue Ribbons writer, talked to Mark Few and Tommy Lloyd, his assistant. And I had him specifically ask them, even without him, I'm still considering ranking you number one is in our preseason poll. Is that out of the question? And neither one of them recoiled from that at all. Hmm. They thought, no, no, we we still we, – we think we're that good. And then they add Andrew Nembhard from Florida, who yeah. – it's so funny, the knock on him at Florida was that he played slow and slowed down their offense. But now at Gonzaga, you know, they like to play fast. And he's fit right in there. And then the other day they, they got a, a four-star power forward from high school who graduated early and is joining the program and will get eligible. I, I don't know how much of a factor he'll be, but man, they just keep adding talent and they're already good. You know, it, it just shows you what uh, a pro, programs like Villanova, Virginia, Gonzaga, uh, they recruit well, they recruit good kids, you know, at, at, at the level uh, that you've covered for many years, Belmont. Uh, you red shirt sometimes, It's next man up, you you always stay old, and that's what Gonzaga's been able to do, and they've used the transfer about as well as as any school in recent memory, Uh, and Nimbard is just the latest, but they've they've added key personnel, and, you know, this is, uh, watching that game the other day, I, I mean, they scored on Virginia, which is, I think arguably you could say has has been the best defensive team in the country. Mm -hmm. Like it was practice. And I don't think that bodes well for, for the rest of (laughs) college basketball. And again, I I was reading one of Seth Davis's pieces, my buddy Seth at, uh, at the athletic. And he thinks it's highly probable that they'll go undefeated. And I think so too, even though the West coast conference now that's, that's nobody's mid major that's a tough conference with BYU, a program that I've always loved to watch. And
0: And St. Mary's is usually kind of their, their main rival in that league for, for years.
1: Yeah. And San Francisco has improved. And, and so uh, it won't be easy by any means, but uh, Gonzaga is a a really good team, a really good program. And what's amazing to me is you'll be watching a game and the announcer will remark about how good a friend's coach Few is with coach. So-and-so and and coach, so-and-so and, and I'm just thinking he might be the most universally respected and liked head coach in the country because everybody likes him. <laughs> you know, he and Rick Barnes, I know, are good friends and tried really hard to get their game from the Jimmy V Classic scheduled some way, somehow. You know, we were talking about this, you and I over text. I think Tennessee is one of the few teams that might have a chance mm-hmm. uh, to, to beat Gonzaga. I think from an experience standpoint, and I think Eve Pons could – could, uh, you know, he's a multi-positional defender and I think he could check Corey Kispert, which is a big key, obviously. And, you know, uh, Timmy, I think, and, and Fulkerson would be a good matchup. And, and then Suggs, who's the best freshman in the country for Gonzaga. Tennessee's got a couple that aren't too much far removed from him talent wise. So that would be a good battle as well.
0: Uh, the AP rankings for this week in Zag is number one. Then Baylor, Kansas, Villanova, and Houston. Uh, the next five, Wisconsin, Tennessee, Texas, West Virginia, and Iowa. Kansas's been playing really well too. They beat West Virginia 79-65. Kansas hit 16 three-pointers. He had all five starters in double figures. Uh, Christian Braun had 22 points and seven assists. They'll play Texas on Saturday. That'll be a good one too, but uh, you know, year in, year out, Kansas is always right there near the top.
1: Yeah, they are. And looking at their numbers now, uh the only game they lost was to Gonzaga. And really, they made that close at the end, closer than, I guess, the score indicated. But the thing you like about Kansas is they really can shoot it from three. As a team, they're shooting almost 40%, and they're holding their opponents. That, you know, the magic number there is, if you can hold your opponents to under 40% field goal shooting, mm-hmm. they're holding their opponents to 39% right now. So it's a typical Kansas team defensively, and they're also really shooting the ball at a high level.
0: Look around the country, the Big Ten, it, it, going into the season, we knew it'd probably be the best conference. It, it's looked the part so far on. Uh, you have nine teams ranked this week. Wisconsin Great. 6, Iowa 10, Rutgers 14, Illinois 15, Michigan 16, Michigan State 17, Northwestern 19, Minnesota 21, and Ohio State 25. How's that for a collection of teams, huh?
1: It's, it's nuts. And if you look at, at, at Northwestern, uh, they were three and 17 in the league last year. And, you know, they were young and they've come up and they, they lost by a point to Pitt, uh, and they've got a non D one win uh, on their schedule. But in, in big 10 play, they beat Michigan state 79, 65. A lot of people got on me. Uh, we ranked Michigan state 17th in blue ribbon preseason and, and thought that they were a little bit better, but I don't know that that that's quite right. I think we were quite right. uh, Yeah. Because Minnesota smashed them last night.
0: They did 81 to 56.
1: Yeah. And then Northwestern goes into Indiana and wins, um, pretty handily. So they're legit. And, And then if you look at Minnesota, uh, man, they've only, they've won a couple of overtime games. Uh, but, but still, uh, uh, they're n- nine and one, and in league play they beat Iowa, racked up a hundred and two points on them, and like you said, they beat Michigan State eighty-one to fifty-six. So it's a nutty league. I yeah. wouldn't want to be a coach in that league. <laughs>
0: I don't care how much money you make. And, uh, uh, and Maryland beat Wisconsin uh, seventy to sixty-four. Uh, Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin. But you know the, the yeah. home courts aren't what they normally are. But still, uh, road it's wins, not, a road wins. Sure
1: that's a tough place to go. I mean, it's, it's tough to travel
0: now mm-hmm.
1: to travel, uh, cause it's such a, a hassle and, and, and you've got to be extra cautious and some teams are, I know Kentucky had to bus seven hours to Georgia tech where they lost, uh, you know, Kentucky's not used to seven hour bus rides. <laughs> so this is the wild, wild West for sure. That's a, a coach back in the fall told me, called it, when they were trying to put a schedule together. He called it the wild, wild west, and it has continued uh, being so.
0: Yeah, Kentucky's not used to seven-hour bus rides. They're also not used to playing seven games and losing six of them either. So it's kind of been the the same question all season with with John Calipari's team. What's going on there? Uh, They're 1-6 and after they lost at Louisville uh, 62-59. Uh, first time they've had that record since 1926. It's also, I saw the first one and six start by an SEC team since Ole Miss back 30 years ago. I thought that was interesting. But that, they, that, the game against Louisville, I mean, they just couldn't score a bucket in, in the final few minutes there. They went without a field goal for over three minutes at the end. Uh, Devin Askew had a three for the lead with 23 seconds, Olivier Saar had that baseline shot with with eight seconds, did everything but go in, uh, but he hasn't scored a field goal in the last two games, he had 22 points against Notre Dame, but no buckets in the two games since, and uh, they'll they'll wait until Saturday to play their SEC opener at Mississippi State, then they'll be at home for Vanderbilt on Tuesday, they had their uh, game against South Carolina postponed, but... Uh, there are a lot of things to figure out. There seem to be some some things going on on the inside. I know one player was sent home. I think he's back, and people wondering why uh, Calipari isn't playing. Uh, some folks, including Dante Allen, who uh, sat out last year with an injury, but you know is a first-year player now. But uh, you know the, the time might start to run short here. And it, 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 it's funny to say that, but you flip the calendar to January, you need to have it a little more figured out than where they are right now.
1: Yeah, I mean it's not hard to figure out. I mean, they're they're young. Uh, they have no really veteran players uh, except transfers. And it, it's it's as clear, I mean it sounds elementary, but if you can't shoot better than 41% from the field, 25% from 3, mm-hmm. and 66% from the free throw line, you're going to be you're going to struggle. They're averaging 64, almost 65 points a game. Uh, that's just not going to get it. And they've got a negative assist-to-turnover ratio as a team. Yeah. In fact, Davion Mintz, the Creighton transfer, is the only guy that has a positive assist-to-turnover ratio on the whole team. So, uh, you know, they're tossing it away, for unforced errors. They're not shooting the basketball very well. And as you said, you know, there's some internal strife, I think. And I, I think I read where uh, they – they're. Something about the date nineteen eleven. Yeah, uh, maybe they were nineteen eleven. They were one and six that year too.
0: Yeah.
1: That is pretty scary stuff. Um I still, I don't know. I typically Kentucky has started out slow, and uh, but Cal Coach Cal has mentioned the schedule, and you know it's it's a you know it's a tough schedule, but I don't know if it's 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 no tougher than in years past. This, this is just a team that. That, that I don't know. The, the pieces just, they just haven't come together and, and they're going to have to shoot it much, much better if they want to reverse this slide. They go to Mississippi State, which, you know, Mississippi State won't be afraid. Uh, they've got some skilled big men and, and experienced guards. So that'll be a tough game too.
0: It will be, and in Mississippi State, you know, you talk about physical conference games. I mean, that that'll be one right out of the shoot for Kentucky down there in Starkville. So, uh, we'll see if uh, Calipari can get it all turned around. Chris, you, you look at surprise teams and staying in the SEC. Missouri has to be right at the top of the list. Uh, they 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 have some nice wins too. You know, there are a couple of teams in the SEC that have uh, piled up good records, but haven't necessarily, you know, played tough schedules just yet. But that's not the case for Missouri. Conzo uh, Martin's team uh, they, they look pretty good as they go in and, and open up against Tennessee. To see on Wednesday night
1: yeah they, they, you know when they beat Oregon I think that was an eye opener that was back on December 2nd and then they followed that up uh, in the bragging rights game uh, beating Illinois which at the time I think was ranked number six uh, again uh, this is an experienced team three experienced guards their leading scorers Xavier Pinson Mark Smith Drew Smith all averaging double figures Jeremiah Tillman it just seems like he's been there 10 years but He's actually a fourth-year senior now and and a, a good quality, knows where his bread is, buttered postman. The only thing you look at Mizzou, they're, they're defending at a high level. They don't shoot it very well from three, 28%. Um, they they beat Bradley by a point in a game where they I think they shot 26%. So uh, it's going to be interesting when they play Tennessee because Tennessee can guard, too. Uh, Tennessee struggled its first couple of games shooting the basketball, but Definitely have, have improved since. Uh, it's not like they were blowing away titans of the game, but Tennessee has had a chance to slowly work its way up and and really had, hasn't had that good a play yet from its veteran players, uh, Eve Pons and John Fulkerson. They can play much better than they have. So this Missouri-Tennessee game, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, uh, we, we take this on Tuesday. It'll be on Wednesday night.
0: You better put on your uh, Beskar armor as you get ready to play uh, conference play. And that, that uh, segues us into our, our final part of our show, the spoiler-filled Mandalorian update. And, and uh, Chris, we, we were off last week for the holiday, but uh, we got to look at the, uh, the final episode of Season 2 of The Mandalorian, which is a show that you and I are both uh, big fans of and our families, too. Yeah. So uh, to give a quick recap, Mando and friends they land on Moff Gideon's Imperial ship. They killed off about a, you know, a thousand stormtroopers on the oh. way to the bridge. The stormtroopers, as we find out, still shoot worse than Kentucky does. Uh, gosh, those dudes haven't hit anything in like you know eight movies and and a bunch of uh, side oh. programs. Uh, they, they went in to rescue Grogu, who was uh, kidnapped by the dark troopers uh, a couple weeks back. And then, uh, he put out the call for a Jedi and the Jedi who answered the call was none other than Luke Skywalker who showed up and, and wiped out the dark troopers in, in short order and then, uh, came to, uh, to rescue Grogu and take him back to train him. Uh, Mando took off his helmet for the final scene and said goodbye to the child who may even have, have seen a, a tear in the eye of Mando. And, uh, it, it was, it was an absolutely awesome episode because, and of course, you know, my, my eight year old son, he, we, we on the days that the show comes out. We'll get up on these Friday mornings and say, Hey, you know what comes out today? He's like, Yeah, dad, I've already watched it. It's like, well, thanks a lot. You know, thanks for waiting for me. So we're watching it together. And he said, Oh, there's going to be a Jedi here in, in just a minute. You're going to like this. And, and so I kind of had an idea what was coming. And then when you saw the X-Wing come in and land, you knew who it was going to be. And you saw the, the green lightsaber and the gloved hand and everything. But it, it was really a, a great finish to season two. And you also got a little uh, teaser of a new series coming up with Boba Fett. So, uh, Man, the, the the Star Wars folks they they continued to bring it. There there's uh, going to be some good stuff coming up uh, after you know a, a terrific second season of this series, and uh, hopefully this won't be the end for the Mandalorian. I, I was kind of worried about that.
1: Oh man, my daughter's like become addicted to the show. But she she gets on TikTok a lot, and she sends me a lot of videos <laughs> of people who are watching the show yeah. and their reactions toward the end. I mean, I can't say it on our family podcast, but. It was so funny watching people scream, and cussing and shouting. Uh, everybody knew it, it was Luke Skywalker, but to see him walking down that hall with, with the, the, the cloak on and uh-huh. everything, you knew those dark troopers were about to get messed up. Uh, and, uh, it, it didn't disappoint. You, you're right, though. Uh, the stormtroopers haven't hit anybody in about 10 years. <laughs> and it's like, what's the white armor for, for, you know, it's like, you, you doesn't it deflect anything? I mean, wh- why even wear it if you're just going to get zapped?
0: But when was the so, last time any of those dudes hit anybody? I, I mean, they they hit Princess Leia and Return of the Jedi. That's about the only time I ever remember them ever uh, connecting on a shot.
1: Yeah, no, it's it, it's crazy. Uh, and and what was cool? Uh, I, I liked this especially because uh, I, I've got a soft spot in my heart for for uh, lady badasses. Uh, four women went in there and just mess those storm trooper troopers up. Uh, so, uh, it was cool to see. I don't know that you've seen this yet. Uh, I think I told you about it, but there's a, uh, an hour plus making of season two on the <laughs> Disney on Disney plus you have got to watch it, dude. It is really cool. And to see the dedication, uh, I, I mean, everybody is committed to the project. They're lifelong star Wars fans, kind of nerds, uh, Ron Howard's daughter, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard directed an episode. She was on there. She was absolutely giddy when she found out Katie Sackhoff was going to be uh, on the show. And uh, But everybody's committed to the project, and obviously Disney's given them a, t- a ton of money uh, to operate with. I read the other day where Disney Plus has 86 million subscribers, yet they don't expect to make a profit for another two years. And I thought, well, I know where that money's going. <laughs> <laughs> Star Wars shows. But uh, man, it's great entertainment. Uh, I I sort of hate that what what the pandemic has done to exhibition viewing. You know, my son runs a film festival that right. I don't know if we'll ever go back on the ground. Uh, it's fundamentally changed how we view things, and I hope we'll be able to go back in theaters. I remember when you know I was a punk, you know, waiting in line with my then girlfriend, now wife, hasn't run me off so far. Uh, in, in the, in the July heat, waiting to get into the original Star Wars yeah. movie. And, uh, I've been a fan of it that long. And, uh, they, boy, uh, John Favreau, hats off to that dude. Uh, he's written most of these episodes, directed some, produced them all, and just done a great job. Uh, he's a great writer, uh, a great script writer. And, uh, like I said, has that reverence for, uh, you'll like the making of cause they had George Lucas on there and actually showed him huh. uh, the animatronic Grogu and uh, the master uh, nodded his approval.
0: That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I go back that far too. I, I was a kid in uh, 1977 when it came out and the, the original star Wars. And I, I remember uh, seeing it in the theater. The first time around we lived in Florida back then. And uh, you know, I, I, I saw all the uh, the original three uh, at the theaters first run, and uh, it's, it's fun to think back to those times and just how big of a deal that was. And uh, Empire Strikes Back was always my favorite of the entire series. And uh, you know, seeing that in the theater and, and just all the surprise elements of that movie, you know, especially when you're a kid, it, it, it was super cool. But uh, the, the Mandalorian is, I, I think, the, a lot of the appeal of this series is, is it has so many references to those old movies and, and familiar things from those movies. That, that there's that nostalgic element for, for people like you and me who, you know, go back that far and remember seeing them the first time around. That, uh, I think that a lot of, uh, that, that's a lot of what makes it so cool. And, you know, the return of Boba Fett, who we hadn't seen since the, uh, the Sarlacc pit in, in 1983. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's been cool to watch and I had fun watching that with my son. So, uh, look forward to, uh, seeing season three when it comes around, uh, here in a, in a few months. Chris, uh, that'll do it for this, uh, edition of our show, the, uh, the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Happy new year, Chris. Here's hoping for a, a much, much better 2021 than what we've experienced this year.
1: Yeah, same to you, my friend. And, again, congratulations on, on calling the Vandy games. Uh, I know it's not a – like you said, there's a lot of, of negotiations that have to be made. But if anybody deserves that, it's you and – uh my only hope is that we can continue doing this podcast even when you're the voice of the Commodore.
0: Well, I, I hope so, too. I, I think it'll all work out for the best uh, all the way around. I, I'm optimistic about it. And, again, I appreciate you saying that. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. We will talk to you next time, the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast.